The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world. Planning on moving into the Oakland Coliseum once the team moves to Vegas. Jordan, I hear we could build a whole new studio as long as you're okay with rodents. Wow. Sign me up. I'm sure the acoustics are outstanding when I think about the Oakland Coliseum. I do think about being able to kind of hear the music blasting across all of the empty seats and all of this this decrepit stadium that the <laughs> team has opted to uh, uh, allow uh, get to that point over the last few decades. And that is, of course, an appropriate way to start. Jake, it is good to see you on this Friday morning. And I got to be honest, uh, we got some unfortunate stuff to talk about during this episode of Baseball Barbacast. We, of course, are going to lead with the Oakland A's news, um, but we also want to give that news its proper due. And we have a lot else to talk about. So I think next week we are going to give this news and this story and, and what happens next a much more thorough investigation and discussion because it, it deserves a lot more than just uh, eight minutes at the top of this podcast. Um, so we are going to talk about it a little bit, but we are going to uh, do a little bit more about that next week. For those of you not in the know, it was announced, it came out, reported yesterday that the Athletics had agreed to buy land, I believe 49 acres worth of land, in the city of Las Vegas, Nevada, which is far from the city of Oakland, where they currently play, with the purpose of opening a new stadium there at the he- at the beginning of the 2027 season. This news came out late on Tuesday evening, East Coast time, sorry, Wednesday evening, East Coast time. It was then confirmed by Oakland A's team president, Dave Caval who then did like a media kind of car wash interview day yesterday and kind of explained some of the reasons that the team has decided to take this step. Uh, They're not total. It's not a done, done, done deal, right? Like that they're moving. But at this point, it seems like 95% that the team is going to leave. So Jordan, quick thoughts on it. We don't want to linger on it. We're going to do a whole episode on this, like you said. But when you heard this news, what was your first reaction? Yeah, I mean, this is something that, uh, you know, the mayor of Oakland, uh, Shang Tao, talked about how she felt blindsided by it because they were still in the middle of negotiations. At the same time, 
you know, th- anyone who's followed the story kind of knew that this was a possibility at some point. And it kind of, if you talk to anyone in the game, it's not like this news was something that was completely out of nowhere. Not that I blame the mayor for feeling blindsided. She's someone who was directly involved in the negotiations to keep the A's in Oakland. And instead, it seems like the A's have decided, the ownership of the A's have decided um, to move forward with the plan to move to Las Vegas. And the obvious place to start is it's just it's just horrible for A's fans. This is not something that we have experienced really um, in our lifetimes, other than the Nationals, who, of course, as people growing up in Washington, D.C., you know, we were 10 years old when the Nationals showed up in 2005, but that was the last time we had a team move. And I know that had a significant impact, of course, on the baseball community in Montreal. But this is not something that we have really experienced with the internet, with A's fans being able to kind of vocalize how they're feeling. And that's really where I think the only place we should focus on right now is that this is a huge deal. And we've seen this in other sports and we know how, how, how much it hurts to have your team taken away from you. Um, and, uh, it's just, it's just, it's kind of hard to really wrap my mind around because while this is something that has of course happened throughout baseball history, including with this franchise, experiencing it in the year 2023, and kind of wrapping my head around the ramifications is, is still kind of taking some time. And I just feel terrible for Ace fans. If you want a very brief understanding as to why this happened, the very simple answer is money. Okay. It is a lot more complicated than what I'm about to say. But the upshot here, the Oakland city government, the local government in Oakland, was unwilling to give the organization the amount of public funding that they wanted in order to build a new stadium, right? The city of Las Vegas seems a lot more willing to throw in money to allow the A's to build a new stadium. That is the biggest difference here, okay? It is a prioritization of profits over people, of finances over the fan base, and that is the society that we live in. And is part of the reason that the A's went from Philadelphia to Kansas City and then from Kansas City to Oakland in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. Is that when when the opportunity arises, like the A's ended up in Oakland because the stadium was already built, right? Like it was already there. They went and they didn't have to pay for a new one. And someone had already built it. And so this is also now the reason in some ways that they're leaving. I, I just, to me, that was my takeaway is it, it really is that simple. They're going to they're gonna make more money by moving to Las Vegas. They are. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's a bummer for the people who get left in the lurch. Yeah. And the other part of it that's kind of surreal, not just a team moving, but like how this has gone about, not just what you just described, which is a very ugly, you know, public flirtation with another city as you are still trying to supposedly stay hashtag rooted in Oakland is like, this is the kind of thing that has, if you read, you know, Lords of the Realm, like the kind of basically self-destructing your own team and spitting in the face of the fans as an excuse to move it, right? Everyone's saying, oh, well, no one goes to the games. Why would you go to the games to watch the worst team in baseball? Why would you go to the games to watch a team that's trading away all of your players who are all flourishing elsewhere and put a horrible product on the field? And this is the other part. I feel terrible for the players who have nothing to do with this. 
They're all trying their best. They're putting it in an impossible place. And who knows what that's going to look like over the next couple years. I'm excited to talk to people who understand this more. If they can actually keep playing in Oakland for the next few years, or if they're going to go play in the in the Vegas AAA stadium at some point soon. But it's just it's just a shitty situation for everybody, and, and it puts everyone in a terrible place, a lot of whom did not ask for this. And it's all for, as you just said, for the hope that you can have a more profitable team in the future, which, again, as we've seen in other markets, can probably still happen anyway, wherever you are, if you are willing to pay for it. So that is what is most frustrating. Last thought here. Part of the reason Vegas is so attractive here, and part of the reason why I think Manfred is so willing to allow the A's to move is the Kachino business, is the gambling business, is having a foothold for baseball in sports betting in the global capital of gambling. I think that that is a significant aspect of the, the ease to which this has happened, right? I think that that's definitely a part of it. Yeah, it seems related. I would also just say, and again, this focus for now, and I mean, for as long as any of this is still going on, should be on the A's fans and just like why they have to deal with this. However, I am going to say that while I also believe Las Vegas is a very weird place from my experience there, um, that doesn't mean that it can't be a baseball community like there is like that and so i don't like i don't think we need to go out of our two things can be true right we don't have to go out of our way to completely hate on the city of las vegas and by the way there's also going to be because of this this is going to open up expansion for other cities yes you could say oh well las vegas everyone tweeting oh my god las vegas instead of these other cities that i like more well, guess what? If they move to those cities, this would still be horrible for the A's fans. It doesn't matter where they were going to be moving. So that's not the point right now. The point is, is that a team has been taken away from a community that's had it for nearly a half century, whether it's Vegas, whether it's Portland, whether it's Nashville, whatever, like that wasn't, that's not important to A's fans. I promise you that it's the fact that they lost their team. So um, let's not even get into the discussion about what kind of baseball market of Vegas is, because that's down the road. We'll get there. Uh, for now, you just got to kind of think of the Oakland fans, a lot of whom we know, a lot of whom we've met and, and people who have who don't necessarily, you know, still live in Oakland or have roots in Oakland. But like that is a team that means a lot to a lot of people. And of course, you could say that about a lot of, you know, professional sports franchises. But there is something special about that fan base. We have been to Oakland Coliseum once and we could feel that even then. And, and, and you know, we're, we're just thinking of those people because we've met a lot of them over the years doing this. And I can only imagine how, how shitty this is. Yeah, it's an absolute bummer. Highly recommend Mark Kerrig's piece in The Athletic about this yesterday, kind of the emotional perspective of having a team taken away from you. We will chat more next week. I think we're going to do a full episode on this topic, have some guests on with some particular insight who have maybe covered this. It's just a, it's a huge, huge deal, right? Having a team potentially relocate from a, one market to another, there's so much speculation and discussion that goes into something like this. But when it actually happens, and it certainly looks like it's going to happen, and we'll probably get some more reporting about this over the next week, we are going to really make sure we dive into that. But let's pivot from uh, <laughs> from a departure to a return, okay? Fernando Tatis Jr., the coolest cheater in the world, played his first game last night since the end of 2021 in the playoffs. I think on the broadcast, there's like 560-something days since he had last been on the field. Suspended for 80 games after missing the first half of last year with a wrist injury, I believe, hand injury. 
He then was popped for transus close to ball. Come on, we got close. Don't you remember ball. the close to ball versus Clobitas all uh, discourse of summer twenty twenty two? Come on, I do. I time. shoved it all the way back in the recesses of my brain. And Jordan, never forget that I was intoxicated at a uh, wedding rehearsal dinner when this came out, and so it hasn't really stuck in my frontal lobe. Uh, anyway. He has apologized profusely. People are still calling him a cheater. He was suspended for the beginning of this season. His suspension ended, and he played last night with a nice, cheeky little 0 for 5, right? 0 for 5. He did register uh, the second hardest hit ball of the game on a 110-mile-an-hour ground out in his second at-bat. He swung at the first pitch in all five at-bats, which is wonderful. He's so excited. He made the least surprising thing ever. Uh, He looked foolish, you know, on some... Ryan Nelson breaking balls that were certainly better than anything he was seeing in AAA. Uh, he hit some balls hard. He played. He made a really nice play in right field. He um, made a really terrible play in right field. He made a really terrible play in right field. That's probably how that's going to go. Um, but uh, but yeah, it was it was it was kind of the, the full experience and and the fact that you know he's already smashing balls as hard as he is even while he's striking out is basically exactly what I would expect in his first game back. He's not someone that's going to ease into it. Like we, we listen, this is still Fernando Tatis Jr. personality and, and, you know, hitter, you know, aggression wise, like this is exactly what he does. So nothing surprising there. And, you know, a lot of the things we, we speculated on coming into this, his return was, Oh, what would his reception be? Well, the crowd in Arizona last night was a lot of Padres fans and also just not that packed. So I'm not sure that's like the perfect, uh, you know, necessarily representation of what his reception is going to be on the road, but still generally it's, you know, he got some booze, he got some cheers. It was not noticeable in, in either direction. I've listening on the broadcast. It felt like it was pretty positive. Yeah. And my takeaway from that is, holy crap, Padres fans are traveling to Phoenix for this, which on one hand, duh, right? It is the return of the face of your franchise in the most hyped year that your organization has ever had. On the other hand, imagine Eight, we say this all the time. Imagine eight years ago, Padres fans driving to Phoenix for a Thursday night game against the Diamondbacks, right? Like, yeah, I will say it worked out pretty well. Like if he was returning in Minnesota, I, I imagine it would not be the same kind of thing. Um, but no, still credit to them because to your point, it's still about you know Padres enthusiasm that I, right. I totally agree with. Um, just seeing him move, he he moves unlike anybody else moves in our sport. There's a fluidity to it. There's an ease to it. And no amount of steroids can take that visual experience away, right? When you see him do things, like when he made the the running grab and crashed into the fence and was blowing a bubble mid-play, which I know Adam Jones used to do all the time, like there's there's an ease to movement with that that is just so impressive and so unique. And I just, I really missed him, Jordan. I, I really missed watching this guy play. It is such a joy to watch him even strike out you know, just the just to have him back in our sport is very wonderful. I really hope he doesn't fuck up again. Two other quick things on this game. One, uh, regarding Tatis. I know he just was playing in the minors with the pitch timer, but <laughs> he is up there for I like to adjust my batting gloves. So I know the Padres have had some issues <laughs> with the pitch clock so far with Soto and Machano uh, outwardly complaining about it, saying, you know, they can't they can't do their thing. Uh, and I could imagine that happening with Tatis at some point, but you know what? Maybe not. Maybe he he will adjust to it quicker. Um, he certainly has some practice. And then the other thing I like about just this game in particular is that Tatis, Soto, and Machado uh, combined to go 0 for uh, 18 
and Xander Bogarts went two for four with a home run. I wrote a little bit about this at Fox last week, but it really has felt like in the early going, like, no, actually, they kind of did need Xander Bogarts. And not because they needed another shortstop, but because you can't guarantee that all of your best players are going to be good at all times. And yet when you have four of the best players in baseball, even three of them can suck and one of them will probably do something awesome. That is the the cover you are giving yourself. And Bogarts has just been been spectacular so far. And, you know, it seems like this is going to be the lineup order they're going with, with Tatis, Soto, Machado, Bogarts in the four hole. And, and I'm curious how that changes, you know, if Bogarts uh, continues to be the best of the bunch. I, I like Tatis at the top there, but I, I could see a scenario where Bogarts maybe moves ahead of Machado uh, at some point. But uh, he's been great, and and yeah, the Padres—they're you know listen—they they got the win. Obviously, that's that's what they cared about. Tatis over five, they will survive that, and we won't see. Uh, let's see when when does he go home? I believe that so is not they for have a while, a, right? They have a very bizarre. I think this is right. They have a very bizarre Saturday Sunday two game series against the Giants next weekend, a week from tomorrow, I believe will be his first home game. He will be in Chicago next week. You should go to that. Uh, meet maybe. There? Uh, meet probably there? not, but maybe. <laughs> I'll meet you in Chicago. That's, yeah, that's uh, that would be an interesting... Yeah, that's true. If Tatis is back. Uh, Brent Honeywell, now 2-0 in the season. Shouts out to him. Uh, he's like pretty good. Uh, yeah, no, I, I was I was looking at that series, so we'll see if I can, I can make that drive. But yes, April 29th, Saturday. No idea why they're not playing Friday, but April 29th, he will make his home debut against the Giants. So we're all looking forward to that. That will be very, very interesting. And uh, yeah, man, this is this is the Padres team we've been waiting for. They got to start stacking some wins here. Um, but nice to get some wins against the first place Diamondbacks. That's absolutely massive. So we'd love to see it. Jordan, I noticed that your hand is sticking to the microphone as you're talking. Is that Oops. what is that? Is that just sweat and rosin? Yeah. Listen, I would never, ever, 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 ever use anything additional other than okay. sweat and rosin. That's all you need to podcast. That's all you need to listen. It's hot. It's hot here in Richmond, Indiana. All right. I'm just trying to, to, to make sure that this microphone is not slipping yeah. so that look, people can get hurt. Right. That's the thing. People I'm doing this to, to protect you and to protect everyone around me for the other people podcasting. I'm just it's, it's about it's about control of the microphone. Do you swear on your kids lives? I do. I do. I swear on my future kids lives. I would never use more than sweat and rosin on this here microphone. All righty. If you know what we're talking about, well, then you got that bit. And if you don't, well, you're confused. Max Scherzer, the heterochromatic, two-eye-colored, um, hardo. <laughs> what? The heterochromatic, two-eye-colored. That's you said. That's the same thing. You. I understand okay, that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm just. I said the complicated thing, and then I, you know, I said it in the in the Queen's uh, English. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Anyway, Max Scherzer. There was a whole kerfuffle, a whole to-do on Wednesday afternoon. He had sticky stuff in his hand. The umpires said, hey, your hand's too sticky. Go get a new glove. Go wash your hand off. He went back to the locker room. He washed it off with alcohol, rubbing alcohol and water. You need rubbing alcohol to get the stuff off your hand. I can say this as someone who like once played around with sticky stuff um, (laughs) for fun last year. You definitely need rubbing alcohol to get it off. He came back out. His hand was too sticky. Or they let him pitch an inning. Happened again. Came back out. And they said, your hand's still sticky. You're out of here, Max Scherzer. Who, you know, surprisingly, Jordan took it very calmly and didn't argue. Just walked right off the field in silence. Not, you know, Scherzer blew a lid. Duh. And 
was then suspended 10 games. That is how things go when you do this. It's basically like two starts um, for a position player. 10 games is, or for a pitcher is just two starts. But a very bizarre sequence of events. Very interesting that it was Scherzer who got cracked down on. Jordan, you tend to be disinterested in sticky stuff discourse. Does this story do it for you? Does it stick for you? I mean, it's obviously a huge deal for Max Scherzer to be suspended for any amount of time under literally any circumstance, Um, not just because how it relates to the Mets mountain of pitching injuries, but also uh, because it's Max Scherzer and he is as kind of upfront, you know, he's one of the faces of Major League Baseball's players, right? Not just the sport from a marketing standpoint, but like he is as, as he was during the you know, the labor negotiations and even talking about, you know, pitch timer stuff and talking about sticky stuff in the past, he is always out there talking about this, right? And that is why after the fact and why he's accepted his suspension and the reason he said he's ex- accepted his suspension is because apparently you are, the only way to appeal is to MLB who has already publicly declared why this is a suspension. So it's not like he's arguing with an independent or, or kind of making his case to an independent arbitrator. He's saying, like, I have no chance to win, so I'm just going to take it and deal with it. But the reason why it's relevant is like, yeah, like this is this is not Hector Santiago, right? This is the opposite of Hector <laughs> Santiago. This is Max Scherzer. This is Max Scherzer. And so do I believe that all he was using was sweat and rosin? Yeah, I do, right? But the way that they have written this and the way that the league has decided this is all that matters is if the umpire believes it to be more sticky than all the other gloves and hands that they are feeling all the time, and that was in the MLB statement which is what the umpires led by phil cuzzy who has already you know kicked out three people for this but there's an incredible quote after the game from dan bellino who was the home plate umpire because i believe was the crew chief mm-hmm. quote as far as level of stickiness this is the stickiest it's been since i've been expecting hand inspecting hands incredible remember as long as i have been inspecting hands for stickiness i've never seen a goopier set of fingers Dan Bellino is the same umpire that was given Madison Bumgarner the hand massage. So he has he has felt some hands. Let me let me So tell this you. is like the between him and Cuzzy, this is like the TSA crew. Exactly. Like I'm sure there are some some umps who are doing like, you know, the meme of the security guard at the, <laughs> the stadium where it's like very basic waving <laughs> and letting you go through. I'm sure that's true. These are not that, right? Like these guys are are feeling them up. And so again. Do I believe that Max Scherzer was doing something that he that was outside of the rules in terms of what they're saying you're allowed to use? No, I don't. Now, they are saying that there's levels to the rosin that you can use and you're only supposed to use it when you're on the mound and not when you're off the mound, whatever. But the that's point stupid is that he, because guys use rosin off the mound all the time. And sure. I'm just going to just quick peek inside our world. The other day, I was I overheard a pitching coach say to a bullpen catcher, Hey, make sure you have the rosin for the pen. Like catchers have rosin on them that they apply to the ball too, right? So like there is rosin being used off the mound all the time and has been used off the mound all the time. And even though it is against the letter of the law, it has been permitted for so long that I am totally understanding where Scherzer is coming from. Like in his mind, he did not act outside the realm of what he has typically done. Now from the MLB perspective, man's hand too sticky. And so they suspended him and they threw him out. That's also totally understandable. And so when he's saying it's only sweat and rosin, 
I believe him. I think that's totally true. But his hand was too sticky, probably due to the humidity or like the the particular weather situation on that day and in Oakland the during the afternoon. That, that's bad luck, right? Because honestly, since the sticky stuff discourse has begun, everyone has always, like that began when it was like, oh my God, they're using spider tack. Oh my God, they're using these concoctions that you've never heard of, right? But the whole time, everyone's always seen the rosin bag behind and, and the rosin should is what everyone has believed obviously as the standard that t- players should all use, but it's not always going to end up with the same stickiness because of all the other factors that are at play. And so un- this is just, it's its both really stupid, really funny in some senses, really unfortunate that it's Scherzer, and also like probably important that it's Scherzer. And he's going to take this and he is going to deal with it personally, but also I hope that this can push towards some sort of better understanding for application for just levels of, like there again this is not fun for me to talk about because i don't find it that interesting again this is also not a situation where scherzer's you know spin rates were out of control like it wasn't that it was these were the normal right. inspections the dodgers weren't like you got to check them it was just the same thing and they just thought it was too sticky here's a question for scientists that maybe listen to the show yeah. is there a scientific measurement for stickiness you know, like we have decibels for sound and we have grams for weight. That's is, right. That's a good that's a good question. I, I don't is know there what, like, the, what because, the quantification is. Right. We can't quantify stickiness. So like one umpire touching a guy's hand sees it as X amount of sticky. The other might see it as Y amount of sticky. Like it's totally subjective. But yeah. I would love like a test, like a certain piece of paper. You just go like doop and then like you put it in a computer and it goes like doop. And then it says, this is 7.9 Scherzers of stickiness. Well, and also, uh, it's about the glove, too. It's not just about the hands. And that was part of the first issue is why they made him change his glove. And I believe it was against the Dodgers on Wednesday because Scherzer talked afterwards. He was like, uh, another part of the reason why he was like, oh, you're right. Like, everyone with the Dodgers, they know me. They know I'm not doing crazy shit. Like I'm not, I'm not worried about my reputation, you know. And again, that's because you're, he's Max Scherzer. Everybody knows what he's about. That's <laughs> that's not. He's no no secret. He's no guy that just showed up randomly. Um. So everyone everyone knows Max Scherzer. So, but the glove stickiness is another part of it. And that's again, you're feeling different different kinds of things in the glove, out the glove. Like it's all this weird thing that the league, because what we knew coming into the season, they said be more strict. That if it crosses that arbitrary line for the umpire, for our supreme sticky checkers that Dan Bellino and Phil Cuzzi are, our ultimate, you know, <laughs> investigative heroes, then then here you go. Like, I, I, I don't know. Because, like, why – you could say why would they lie about thinking that that was the stickiest glove that they've ever had? Like, I don't They'd know. They probably think it's sticky. They yeah, thought it was like, a sticky I, I don't, glove. Like, I believe them. Right, and so it just—it just is a is a strange, uh, a strange sequence of events. And even Scherzer seems to understand that he's just—he's just stuck with it. And we'll have him back, uh, of course, at some point. Ten games. As for the how it impacts the Mets, I mean, their rotation now. There's just a lot of like, who's gonna start these games? Because but they're Jose- still winning. They're still winning. They're six and one on this current West Coast. Road no, I trip. know it's not. It's not like it's torpedoing their season, but like it's really wild the the degree to which I think we're gonna get Joey Lucchese. So that'll be uh, that'll be fun to get a little <laughs> Joey Lucchese action tonight. Senga Lucchese, Peterson, McGill, yeah, Yaka bonus extended, hurt. or maybe 
you know, a Jose Budo. Yeah. Uh, well, I know Dylan Bundy, who I believe gave up like nine runs in his first AAA outing. Doesn't seem like they're going to be rushing him <laughs> to Queens. So we'll see about that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's like to me, like there's there's versions of this. Yes, it's interesting. Is Max Scherzer suspended 10 games. But I just I don't think that there was anything more nefarious going on. And I think we're just kind of stuck with this. It sucks. Like I, I don't want Max Scherzer to miss starts, but I understand how this all went down. All right, let's take a quick break, Jordan, and we will be back after that with the good, the bad, and of course, the ugly. Hey, everybody, I'm James Hinchcliffe. And I'm Alexander Rossi, and we're the hosts of Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. The racing season is in full swing, and we're breaking down all the exciting action on and off the track from the world of IndyCar, NASCAR, Formula One, and more. And by more, we mean that sometimes we just talk about whatever the hell we want, like time travel, Canadian ships, or the many reasons not to go to Death Valley. Either way, join us. Every week, we'll be here having fun. Fun's a relative term, but that's not the point. Download Off Track with Hinch and Rossi on Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back here on a Friday edition of Baseball Barbacast. I'm Jake Mintz, joined as always by Jordan Schusterman. And it is Friday, and that means it is time for the good, the bad, and of course, the ugla, where we give you one thing good from the week in baseball, one thing bad, and one thing Dan Ugla. Ugla is weird. Ugla is different. Ugla is notable, just like Dan Ugla. Jordan, why don't you start us off this week? What was your good? Uh, my good was something that I was already considering doing a, a, a good for earlier this week. And then last night, Mr. Good himself, James Outmond, hit a go-ahead grand slam in Wrigley Field. His fifth home run of the season, raising his OPS over 1,000. And we talked about coming into the season like, okay, wow, this is like the least intimidating Dodgers lineup we've ever seen. But one of James Altman or Miguel Vargas or the veterans like Hayward and Peralta, like one of those guys is going to be awesome. And here he is, folks. And the reason why I wanted to single out James Altman in particular, not just because he hit a monster grand slam, is the fact that like this is not a case of, of like a totally out of – like he has raked in the minors the entire time. And so he had just two – Full seasons of destroying the upper minors, destroying the fall league. He was good, you know, in triple. He was awesome in triple A last year. And so while he was never a super high pick, you know, seventh round pick out of Sacramento State, like at some point, you know, well, what is it? When people tell you who they are, you know, believe them. <laughs> and James Outman, who certainly looks the part. I mean, this dude, like he, if you had no idea what round he was picked in and you had no idea what his prospect pedigree was and you had no, nothing about that. You look at him and you watch him swing and you watch him play the outfield. You're like, yeah, that looks like a major league all-star. What's the big deal? And instead we have to pretend like we're surprised when the Dodgers had turned this guy into uh, a truly awesome player. And um, it's a huge deal. It is an absolutely huge deal because when you look at the Dodgers lineup, first of all, Max Muncy appears to be back. So that is a, a very significant development. Uh, but, you know, so far they, they've only gotten so much from Mookie. JD's been okay. Chris Taylor still stinks. And, you know, Miguel Rojas, like shortstop is, is a huge question mark, right? We just watched Mookie best play shortstop. So I think uh, he's been their best hitter alongside Muncy. And that is uh, that should not be too much of a surprise. 
most important thing about James Outman, he was a 2017 summer league teammate on the Bethesda Big Train with our good friend Stephen Shock. Yes. My good is much simpler, even simpler than that. Liam Hendricks is cancer free, Jordan. Mm. Great. We one. love to see it. The White Sox closer was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin lymphoma, I believe, in the middle of the offseason and posted yesterday on Instagram, remission, it's official, I'm cancer-free. He had finished his final round of chemo, uh, I believe, a couple weeks ago, and he's cancer-free, and you know, there's no timeline for his return to the field. I think there was an article this morning by James Fegan in the, in the Athletic about what the path forward looks like for him now, but we're happy that he's healthy. And we're happy uh, that for the possibility of him returning on the field because he's one of the best guys in the sport and one of the most entertaining closers in our game. So that is undeniably good. Great answer. Yes, very excited. As much as I've uh, I've loved watching the Gregory Santos, uh, Reynaldo Lopez experience, I, I, I it would be nice to have Liam Hendricks back on the field. But most importantly, he is healthy, and that is great to hear. We move to the bad, Jake, and I take you to the north side, not because (laughs) the Cubs just lost to the Dodgers last night, which, by the way, quick side note, I love the the way you know a team has turned a corner as far as expectations and like how much is when you lose a game like the Cubs lost last night and people are losing their minds. That is great. That is a great sign. Cubs fans should be feeling fantastic this morning after that horrific Michael Fulmer performance because it means it matters. It means that your season does have stakes, that you are competing for a postseason spot, and you lost a heartbreaker to the Dodgers. You know you've made it when you lose a heartbreaker to the Dodgers. Anyway, Eric Hosmer. Jake, my guy is just pounded it into the ground. I know he hit a home run against Oakland. Congratulations. But the 68% ground ball rate is a career high, even for Eric Hosmer, while Mash Mervis continues to launch baseballs in AAA. Jake, it's worth pointing out that Trey Mancini has also been very, very poor, but he's been the worst player. He's been the worst player in baseball, Trey Mancini, but okay. No, I I know, I know. (laughs) Uh, but Trey Mancini has done a lot more recently to deserve a longer leash than Eric Hosmer smashing the ball into the ground over and over and over and over. Trey Mancini also got a much more significant contract than Eric Hosmer did. And I just wonder how much longer will this go? Listen, we knew when they signed all these veterans that they and slash reclamation projects, it wasn't all going to work. Guess what? Cody Bellinger looks pretty fucking awesome. You know? That's great. Aaron Cosmer, not so much. Trey Mancini, not so much. Evan Rios, not so much. But Cody Bellinger's awesome. That's fine. It's going well. Like, you were not going to get four all-stars out of this group. And and also, just, again, how Cubs fans are, are reacting to it is just exactly what you, and you would expect. And Padres fans quote tweeting and be like, whoo, not our problem anymore. It's really so, something to behold. Eric Cosmer seems like a nice enough guy. Mm-hmm. Might be time to uh, do something else. Here's what I'll say. Might be time to do something else. I understand (laughs) that he's trying his best, but I think what is so infuriating about Hosmer is that there's no adjustment, that he's just doing the same thing, right? He hasn't changed. You know who he needs to talk to? You know who he needs to talk to? Who? Yanni Diaz. Because Yanni Diaz 
has figured out how to lift the baseball. <laughs> and Finally. he also was smashing it into the ground for years before he decided, oh, if I hit it up, it actually is more likely to be a hit or at least more likely to be extra bases. The other option. Do you know the difference? Yeah. Do you know the difference between Eric Hosmer and Yanni Diaz, Jordan? What? According to baseball reference, I believe it is about $130 million. Eric Hosmer's career earnings are $174,780,750. Exactly. Eric Hosmer, he did it. Not to he's say, yeah, this is champion. the thing. Like, I'm not trying to say that he's like being lazy or wrestling on his lord. There is less of a reason for him to grind, for him to go and get in the lab and figure this out. It doesn't matter. If he retired tomorrow, it would be an amazing career with a World Series ring. 100%. He might get his number retired in a city with you know enough money that his great, 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 great grandkids can go wherever they went to school. Like mm -hmm. that, he's good. He did it. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm Eric Hosmer, let's start looking for other career options um, or just sit on a beach. It, this that, just feels like the end of it, it's like the hitter version of Dallas Keuchel. It's like <laughs> you don't have it. Keep hanging on as long as you want, but like you're not going to figure it out. You have the money. Just that's a great comp. That's ya. a really good comp. Although, yeah, it's funny because I found myself defending Eric Hosmer to some degree in San Diego over the last few years, but now just because of the context with the Cubs, where every win and at bat is going to matter if they're going to stay in the postseason race. Like that's why it is more frustrating. Um, his other option would be to find a way to bring the undergrounder power up from backyard baseball to life, Ooh, because my that. goodness could not think of a better uh, player to utilize that as much as possible. He's like, Oh, the aluminum power bat. Sorry. I no, not interested. Not interested. Speaking of old veterans who maybe need to retire. Madison Bumgarner was designated for assignment by the Arizona Diamondbacks on Thursday. The team recalled left-hander Anthony Mishevitz from AAA Reno as the corresponding move, which is funny and tells you how and why this move was made. There are prospects in AAA, pitching prospects, nipping at the heels, right? Like Brandon Fodd is down there. Like they have a guy who they could call up on the rotation. For whatever reason, they don't think he's ready quite yet. This was mad bum, get out of here, more than it was we need to get someone new on the roster. Anthony Mashevitz could have been me or you or producer Chris or Mike Farron, okay, or Bruce Bochy or whomever. It didn't matter. It could have been a, you know, a mannequin for all this front office care. They needed to get mad bum the heck out of town. And that is because my man, Big Washed. 5-2-3 yeah. ERA as a Diamondback, over 69 starts. A funny number that he probably doesn't even understand. And this is after he signed a five-year, $85 million deal with the D-backs ahead of the 2020 season. It is one of the worst contracts we've had over the last half decade. Just an abysmal deal. At the time, it felt weird because his velo had been down for a couple years leading into it. Obviously, one of the greatest postseason pitchers of all time. No amount of home runs surrendered to the Rockies and CJ Crone can take that away from him, right? But this is just terrible. Like, yeah, what a I mean, bad freaking pitcher now. It's, yeah, th that's the thing. Uh, not as bad as Patrick Corbin. I mean, in terms of contract wise, like 585 doesn't sound that bad. But for what it was supposed to represent, of like kind of bringing some legitimacy and some like veteran heft 
to a team that was trying to really like disaster, right? For sure. And but Corbin gave a year, like uh, exactly. Corbin no, gave. I talk. Just, I make this joke all the time. Like if Corbin slips on a banana peel at the Nats victory parade and like tears a muscle in his leg and never pitches again, his number is getting like retired. Right? Like, he's, he's like an hero. all-time legend right. in DC. He just survived long enough to become the villain. Whereas Mad Bum. Mad Bum never did anything of note or redeeming quality for the Arizona Diamondbacks franchise. He did not do that. Yes, correct. Um, Sad part is that's basically what happened to Strasburg in some sense with even more money. Uh, A little different, but uh, but to your point, uh, yeah, that's that's I I just wanted to say like 585 just doesn't sound that bad. I understand first hear it, but that's the other thing with with Mad Bum is he's been healthy like he's posted. He's posted it. He's just freaking sucked. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah. He had a 10-26 ERA this year. He got into like a little kerfuffle tete-a-tete with Will, uh, Will, Wilson Contreras the other day when they were playing the Cardinals. He just looks awful. I'm fascinated to see what happens next. I think he will throw another pitch in the major leagues for a major league team this year. I saw this news while I was in the Angels clubhouse, and I was like, he should just be in this room already. Like, okay. scruffy, hard-nosed veteran pitcher, right? He would be perfect in that on that team. It's a very firm team. Uh, I He'll pitch again. Do I think he'll be good? No. Do I think this is the type of guy who is open-minded enough to, like, go to driveline and, like, find some velo? No. I think he's probably pretty stubborn. I can't imagine his off-season workout routine is more than like working on the farm uh, and Mason you know, Saunders, man. He'd be ranching. <laughs> He'd be ranching. Maybe he should be lifting yeah. uh, and doing some, he, he should be doing some plyo balls on the ranch. Yeah. Is all I don't saying. know what the solution is. I mean, people have pointed out, it's like not throwing any softer than Kershaw is and he sucks. So <laughs> it, there's clearly a level of stubbornness, as you said. And if he doesn't want to make those adjustments, then yeah, I think he'll he'll he is going to be done. I do think he'll send some of some of you know, of course, hinted at the Rangers and reuniting with Bochi, but it's not about being comfortable with your manager, right? That's at this point, it is clearly going to be about a a clear willingness to change something about his pitching. This is not an at which I guess is an attitude problem, but it is clearly an on the field issue, not just a like I like my manager, I miss Bruce Bochi. And it is similar to the Hosmer situation where he could retire tomorrow with a big pile of money and even more postseason accolades than Hosmer. Like this, he did the most impressive pitching thing we've seen in the modern era in the postseason, something that may never be touched. He will have that the rest of his life. It won't be enough to get him into Cooperstown, right? But it is it is something we will tell our grandkids about what he did in 2014, right? So Mm -hmm. if he wants to go away and ranch forever... He could totally do that. That'd be fine. Does he want to keep pitching? Yes. Do I think he will make the adjustments necessary to pitch successfully in the big leagues again? I am. I do not. I do not think that will happen. Jordan Schusterman, what is your ugla? My ugla is related to a tweet I sent out last night and also one that our friend Chelsea Janes sent out this morning, which is that Pete Alonzo has more home runs than the Washington Nationals. Hmm. Now, sure, we're only a little over three weeks in. Okay, what's the big deal? I'm sure this has happened before. And yes, it has certainly happened, I'm sure, many times before in individual months or to start a season. But it did have me wondering, like, how many times has a hitter had more home runs than an individual team? Because to me, this is like the quintessential thing you say about Babe Ruth, right? 
And so I know that Babe Ruth did it a bunch of times. So I'm not even going to bother talking about Babe Ruth. What my thinking was, has anyone actually done this since Babe Ruth? And the great irony, based on my research this morning, and if Stathead is failing me and I have this wrong, please let me know, Sarah Langs, is that the most recent team to have this happen to them was the Washington (laughs) Senators in the 1940s. And it has only happened three times since. And listen, obviously, Pete Alonso is not going to hit more home runs than the Nationals this season. But it did just get me thinking, and I had never seen this stat before. And so this has only happened three other times. I guess the most recent was actually the 1949 White Sox. The 1949 White Sox in 154 games hit 43 home runs, tied with one Ted Williams and five behind, or sorry, way behind (laughs) 54 from Ralph Kiner. The 1948 Washington Senators had 31 home runs, which is the fewest hit by anybody uh, since integration. And in 1948, Johnny Mize and Ralph Kiner, Joe DiMaggio and Stan Musial and Hank Sauer and Joe Gordon, all those guys had more home runs than the Washington Senators. 1947, Johnny Mize and Ralph Kiner both had 51, while the Nationals had 42. So it has only happened three times ever. And I do love that the Nationals, once again, have found themselves in embarrassing home run history, at least for a few weeks. Shouts out to them. Who needs a homer? Who needs it? Uh, Joey Manessis actually needs a home run really badly. Yeah. Really, really badly. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Okay, actually, my- before, oh, so sorry, so sorry. Before we do this, do you know who has the eight Nationals home runs? Do, do you know? <laughs> okay, I was. It's not Joey Manessis. So, uh, we'll, Alex we'll, Call. Alex Call has one. Yes, correct. Nicely done. Lane Thomas. Lane Thomas does not have one yet. No, sorry. Sorry to say. Oh, no. Uh, Manessis has one. Nope, he does not. Homerless. Oh, Candelario has been great. Three. Three of the eight, courtesy of of the Candyman. We love to see it. Who else? Huh? Who else? Two from Luis Garcia. One from Kybert Ruiz. And one from the man himself, Stone Garrett. Washington Nationals, good luck. All right, Jake, what's your agua? Here is a headline from a UK media outlet called The Independent. Okay. International media stories about baseball things are always funny. And this one is no exception. Yeah? I I think, oh, did I see this? I'm not sure. Independent, not the Daily Mail. Different. Not the Daily Mail. Here's the headline. Baseball star furious with United Airlines for asking pregnant wife to clean up children's popcorn. Baseball star, baseball star. Furious with United Airlines for asking pregnant wife to clean up children's popcorn. The subheader is, are you kidding me? Said pitcher Anthony Bass. Now, some of you may have seen this story, this situation already, but I felt like it needed to be discussed. Here's what happened. Anthony Bass sent out the following tweet on April 16th. The flight attendant at United just made my 22-week pregnant wife traveling with a five-year-old and a two-year-old Get on her hands and knees to pick up the popcorn mess by my youngest daughter. Are you kidding me? He included a picture of two cute children playing on iPads with popcorn. Like, not a, like a lot of popcorn, but like not a lot of popcorn, if that makes sense. This went mega viral because parents started fighting about whose responsibility it was to pick up the popcorn. Was it Mama Bass? 
or the flight attendant's responsibility. Now, I would imagine that the picture Anthony Bass tweeted was not taken by him. It was probably taken by his wife. I don't imagine he was flying with them because he would have been with the team, which is also like it, there's the implication that he took the picture, I think, here. Right. And <laughs> it made that it was look, the case. It made it look like worse he, than it already was. Right. Like it made it look like he was like not picking up the popcorn or whatever. But I don't think that was the case. Like he wasn't there. We got comments on this from some very notable, deplorable people on the Internet uh, hopped into the mix. And it, it's just a, I'm not going to offer my opinion. I think you probably, uh, you know, it's it's tough. I understand if you're pregnant, you know, probably shouldn't be bending down to pick up the popcorn. Now, what I would imagine is that maybe there wasn't a whole lot of respect going on between the service worker and the significant other of a baseball player on a flight. I'm just, maybe that's, uh, you know, projection or conjecture, you know, but I, that might be my assumption in this situation. And I think that this, could have been handled in a different way. Like, hi, I'm, I'm, I can't bend down to pick up the popcorn. Like, I, you know, I'm pregnant. Twenty, I'm twenty two weeks pregnant. Um, maybe after everyone gets up, I would love to, you know, bend down and help and pay, maybe pick up. I'll have the kids pick them up themselves once we land. You know, th- there was a way that this could have gone down where like Tommy Laren didn't need to be commenting on it on Twitter. <laughs> that's just kind of how I feel. Probably, but true. I think it's hilarious because it it ends up with a headline that says "Baseball Star Furious with United Airlines." Anthony Bass, that's far great, from a baseball star. He was uh no man, that's that's now he is. It's official, it's in print. You can never take that away from him. This is the Just most famous Anthony Bass has ever been. Anthony Bass has never made an all-star game. He actually was pretty good last year, actually. Yeah, he was. He uh he I remember wow. when the Marlins signed him. That was like their big, their big signing going into 2021. Very proud of that. He's now made his way back to the Blue Jays. And uh, yeah, this is, uh, I mean, did he, well, this is another thing. This is also just another category of tweet that I don't like, which is tweeting at airlines. So (laughs) I know there's no, there's no tweet. This is a good rule. If you're famous or otherwise notable and you're tweeting at an airlines, an airline, it better be like, help. Yeah, like there needs to be. Me, it really needs to right? be a lot more dire than just help me about or thank XYZ. you. Yeah. Help me or thank you. Otherwise, I think you can handle it internally. Yeah, I or think. DM the airline. You know, they they because they're just going to tell you to DM them. So don't. right, <laughs> or just tweet at the airline if you need to get their attention instead of putting it in the middle of the tweet. Ooh, you see what I'm saying? Twitter etiquette. We love it. By the way, Jake, unverified. You doing all right? Doing okay? Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know who I am anymore. <laughs> Literally. Uh, let's move on to the end of our show. It's Friday, which means we look ahead to the weekend. Great slate series. It's, you know, this is the beauty of baseball though, right? Like it's impossible to not have at least a few good series going, but we are going to preview with our three series that we're watching the most closely this uh, weekend. A couple of them already underway. In fact, five opportunities this weekend, five four-game series that began uh, just yesterday. That includes uh, Mets-Giants, Cubs-Dodgers, Padres-D-backs, Reds-Pirates, and Rockies-Phillies. But Jake, I'll let you start. Who are the three series you are watching the closest this weekend? Give me Braves-Astros in Atlanta, World Series rematch, two good teams. That place is going to be rocking. The last time those two teams faced off there, Zach Granke got a hit, I think. 
Um, we were there. <laughs> which is how that will always be remembered. That'll be a really good series between two clubs. I love that the opener tonight is between two pitchers, Hunter Brown and Bryce Elder, who were not in the World Series in 2021. Uh, I will take Blue Jays-Yankees, battle for supremacy uh, at the top of the AL East. Yes, that is a slight to the Tampa Rays, who I still believe are a slight tick behind these two clubs. Sorry, not sorry. I will be in attendance tonight for this showdown between Toronto and the Yanks. The Yankees, the only team in baseball yet to lose a series. They love winning two out of three. You know that's good. That's what that's, that's what MLB is all about, right? Winning your series. You don't you gotta have to win sweep. your series. You just gotta win your series. Just gotta win your series. And then Cubs, Dodgers. The Cubs have been a real surprising hot start. Dodgers are in town and nice crowd last night. Wrigley is going to be freaking rocking this weekend. Friday, yeah. Saturday, Sunday. I believe they are all afternoon games. I am going to Google weather in Chicago, and I am going to discover that today it is a high of 63. Go on out to the Wrigley. It's going to be awesome because tomorrow is a high of 48, and it'll be much colder. So go go on Friday. Make sure you go on Friday. Those are the three I'm looking forward to. Good picks. I am going to go with the, I mean, obviously I'm watching this because I'm a Mariners fan, but Cardinals, Mariners, both of these teams, first of all, you know, weird interleague. Can't remember the last time the Cardinals were in Seattle. Uh, maybe it wasn't that long ago, but it is certainly a strange aesthetic. The Brewers being there certainly sort of prepared me for it earlier this week, but both of these teams are 8 and 11, and I just put out a Twitter poll this morning asking which of these 8 and 11 starts is more disappointing to start the year. Um, I'm curious what your take on that is just quickly. We don't have to go too long on this, but who would you say has been more disappointing? The Cardinals. Yes. So 63% so far with over 2000 votes agree with you. Uh, and I think I do too. I know Mariners Twitter is in a total panic and is super pissed off. Um, do you not remember they were nine at 29 and 39 last year? Do you not remember that? That's a lot worse than eight and 11. Uh, but that'll be a fun series for both teams and both fan bases to absolutely shit their pants if they lose it. So that'll be fun. Pirates, my opportunity is the one I'm watching. They have been great. We should probably be talking about them more, uh, but they are playing the Reds and that's just an opportunity for them to really stay around, right? And, you know, the Reds have been have been solid and they're going to have to face, uh, I guess they'll get Ashcraft today, but they that is a team that I am, I am definitely feel like we need to understand a little bit more, which is the Pirates and the Reds, who I saw on opening day and didn't give too much thought to. But the Pirates are having a very, very interesting season. In a similar vein, I am watching Texas and Oakland. And the reason I'm watching Texas and Oakland is because, one, Oakland, this is another part of the A story, dropping this when they are about to go on a long road trip is not a surprise, uh, which I guess is maybe doing the players a favor. But um, it's more that the Rangers are already playing really well and they already have I believe a three game lead in the division and now they get to play the worst team in the league so uh three and a half game lead or three and a half game lead over Houston right now and I listen it's not fair to guarantee a sweep or anything uh but like they the Rangers are, are looking pretty solid and they're already in a great spot in the standings and now they can kind of stretch that out more where if we wake up you know next week and they've got a five or six game lead in the division we all really have to start talking about the Rangers so that is also one I will be watching. Uh, otherwise, um, but again, all kinds of fun games this weekend. We hope you enjoyed this week, an episode of Baseball Barbacast. Uh, thank you to Chris Tyler for producing. As always, you can email us at 
barbacast at gmail.com. That's B-A-R-B-Cast. Podswag.com slash baseball is where you can get our merch. Hoping to have some new merch designs coming up here in a little while. Uh, But it's been a very fun week of podcasting. And yes, we'll be back next week to talk more about the A situation and, uh, and plenty, plenty, plenty else. But until next week, have a wonderful weekend. Jake, send us out. I'm going to spend my weekend dumping popcorn on the streets of New York City and making pregnant wives pick up my mess. Serious XM Podcasts. <laughs>